that doesn't make you giggle a little bit. I don't know what will. That's kind of fun. So we're starting this brand new series uh, called How to Be a Perfect Christian. And um, if you didn't catch all of it, um, there's a little bit of over-the-topness with this uh, imagery with the nice mustard chair that I am in. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, it's based off of a series, well, a book. Um, we'll get into that in a second. I want to open with this. How many of you got gold stars for something when you were kids? Like, there was a chart, you know, you had boxes, and there were gold stars put in the boxes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, um, I think for a lot of us, and what I have uh, named today's message is called the Holiness Tracker 5000. Um, And here's the reason. I think a lot of us, we want a chart, we want like some sort of blinking beeper metal detector device that tells us and lets us know how Christian we are, um, verify exactly our standing with God. How many of you would like that to know, I just need two more gold stars and then I'm good with God? Um, we, We have this idea that there are somehow, there's like something that makes us right with God and somehow something that maybe leaves us a couple of stars short of where we need to be, because we all know that true Christians wear Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts, right? No? True Christians, um, they, well, perfect Christians, we'll go this way, perfect Christians have the, the fish on the back of their car, you know, those bumper stickers, or maybe the, the Christian fish eating the Darwin fish, which is, you know, like a little excessive, or true Christians, um, Maybe you experienced this if you ever went to church as a kid or, or early on. Um, you had to, like, dress up. You had to dress the part. And so you're not a real Christian unless you're, like, a suit-wearing, card-carrying. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You experienced this? And sometimes there's these cultural expectations. So I have quite literally walked into um, a church before where my family was the speakers for the day. And, uh, and I sat down, and the suit-wearing, card-carrying guy came to me and said, excuse me, you're in our seat, and made me move because apparently I was in their seat. And um, that's all kinds of wrong. Can we just admit that? Can we just, can we just get that out in the open, um, that there's all kinds of, of things? And so this series, How to Be a Perfect Christian, is based off of a book put out by a blog that does a lot of satire. You guys know what satire is? It's just off-the-charts comedy that is poking as much fun by as being as much over-the-top as possible. And the, the site is called The Babylon Bee. If you've never heard of it, you can look it up. But they wrote a book, um, jokingly, called How to Be the Perfect Christian, but underneath all of the jokes. Did you ever hear that when somebody's joking, there's a truth underneath that, which is why you find it funny? Underneath all of that satire are some truths that we really need to hear. And I think it will help us understand exactly what Christ is up to as we unpack the scriptures 
and jump in. So there's this line in the book that says, see, to become a perfect Christian or to become perfect, you need to be baptized in the glorious waters of Christian culture. Did you guys know there was like this sub-Christian culture? Yeah, we've got Christian radio stations and Christian bracelets and Christian jewelry and Christian bookstores and Christian gift stores and Christian, like we, somehow we take this moniker and we say, to be perfect, you, you have to be the one washed or baptized in the glorious waters of Christian culture. And today we're going to be looking at one of Paul's letters in the New Testament to a, a, a church in the city named Galatia. And it would be easy um, for us to see what Christ is doing or what Christianity is doing or what the church is doing only in light of the culture around us. Because honestly, that's what shapes a lot of our expectations. When you walk into a church, sometimes you walk in with this expectation based off of other cultural things, based off of other experiences, based off of TV shows, based off of... We could keep going because we, it's really hard to distinguish sometimes what's going on in the culture around us and how that has shaped us versus what the reality is. So the believers in this early church, as they were exploring what does it mean to be Christians, not what does it mean to be churchgoers, not what does it mean to be religious, but what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, they started noticing that other people were adding things on to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. Like, you got to wear a suit. Or, in my case, you got to wear name tags. By the way, the name tags are just so that you can see other people and know their name. There's nothing sacred. This is not a holy, sacred cow for us. It's just a helpful, handy tool. If you're not wearing a name tag, I'm not upset by it. But I might not know your name, so wear your name tag. No, just, I'm just kidding. Um, but the point being, we can easily misjudge what's going on or misunderstand what, Christian, what Christianity and following Christ is really about. And so the Galatians, they had this um, section of people that believed that to be a true Christian, you had to be circumcised um, because that was the, the moniker or the, or the thing. And, um, and you had to follow all of the laws and you had these list of rules. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I grew up in a household that went to church, and uh, my parents often coined this phrase, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with the girls that do. Um, anybody ever heard that? It's a terrible phrase. Um, and, um, and so I can remember even when I was young going into Sunday school classes in some of the most formative places in my life but it was tracking attendance and getting gold stars, and it was all about these things to make me feel good about myself and let other people see how well I was performing in the world. And so instead of allowing Christ to change my heart, I, like the Galatians, oftentimes played the game. 
and I put on different masks depending on who I was with and where I was, and I wasn't really allowing Christ to move me. So the Galatians, instead of boasting in Christ alone, they were changing their focus back to themselves. I wonder just how often we take our cues from where we are socially. If I'm with this group of friends and we're all at the bar, I wonder if I take my words a step too far. Or if I'm with this group of friends and I'm at a Bible study, I wonder if I'm putting on that Instagram version of myself to say, this is what I'm really like, when actually underneath, that's not the case. So a perfect Christian is not the person who looks the part or conforms to the culture of Christianity or the expectation that a church puts on them. And rather than trying to impress people, um, we have to own our imperfections and instead choose to cling to Christ, hold on to Christ, and hold on to Christ changing us. So that's what this series is about. And so we're going to jokingly look at some of the places in our lives where maybe we put our focus back on us, where maybe we... um, We're not really fully honest. Can I say that? How many of us are fully honest all the time? It's okay, put your hand up. (laughs) I I struggle with this because a lot of times, even after you become a Christian, you start following Christ. It's just as easy to start judging people because they don't look like you, where in the other side, before you started following Christ, You were judging people who were following Christ because they were hypocritical, because they were, and you just insert those things. So that's what this series is really going to to look into. Our versions of Christianity, our rose-colored glasses, our worldviews that shape the way we see what's happening with the church. Everybody tracking so far? So here we go. Um, let's jump into the scripture because that's always um, the, the most fun. So Paul is addressing something at the church in Galatians. Um, if you don't know where Galatians is, it's in the New Testament. It's uh, one of the letters, and it's written by a guy named Paul who started the church and is writing back to them. And uh, there are these people in the church that are requiring Um, new believers or people coming into the fold to become circumcised and and report like basically publicly um, if they kept all these rules or if they didn't. And if they didn't, they would be shamed uh, publicly in front of everyone, which is always good times, isn't it? Um, Now, the heart behind circumcision isn't a bad heart. The heart behind circumcision comes from setting yourself apart for God's purposes. It was also a health thing, but we don't need to get into the health thing. We'll just get into the part about being set apart fully for God. There's this church word that often gets misused, and it's called sanctification. Has anybody heard that word before? Sanctification is is simply this word talking about the process whereby you become holy and fully committed into God, 
where you lay down more and more of yourself and you start living an alternate and different way of life. And when you do, you will be set apart for God's purposes. In fact, some of the Psalms sang songs like, God will give you the desires of your heart, which isn't God gives you whatever you want. It's talking about God planting in the desires that you actually have into your own heart. And it's into this scenario that Paul um, is writing, and he's finishing the book Um, And so we'll jump in, Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, They should be on the screen for you. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Fabulous line that's actually in the Bible. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good for others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my own interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in it has also died. It does not matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Verse 16, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle, that we are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Amen. I love this little section of scripture for so many reasons, but let's start with this Perfect Christians, let's do the quotations. Everybody do the quotations with me. Perfect Christians are more concerned with impressing others than they are about embracing Jesus. Paul starts out this section with these giant letters in verse 11. He says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. So Paul would have been dictating all of the letters that he was writing from prison. And he would have had someone writing them for him. But he thinks it important enough at this point to sit down at the desk and write. And apparently he's writing in very big, all capital letters, just so that he gets our attention. I kind of... um, this is in no way meant to be offensive to anyone, but I, I can't help but pick on my dad for a second. My dad's phone, he's got the world's biggest iPhone. I don't know what version it is, but it's the largest, like it's basically an iPad. And, um, and he has the letters on it. Anybody do this for your own sake? It's okay. I'm not, I'm not. But he's got the letters like jacked up as big as the font size could possibly go. I'm like, Dad, you could put that across the room and I could see it. He goes, shut up. I can read it. It's big letters. So I kind of like, I kind of think that that Paul is like putting it in giant letters so we don't miss it at all. Like, this is important. Let me make this easy for you. Outward appearances, outward appearances fall short of inward transformation. 
See, we all know people who are always self-promoting. I'm not saying it's not okay to promote things. It is okay to promote things. But if I only work on my outward appearance of how I am seen with others, rather than on the inward soul work, the transformational piece, then I'm not really going to be that attractive in the long term. There are plenty of um, things in our world that look great, they run smoothly, we all want that healthy, wealthy, success, should I, healthy, wealthy, what's the next one, wise? Is that it, healthy, wealthy? Like we all want that, we all want that success. But I wonder if, especially when it comes to following Christ, instead of being real, instead of being able to do life together in such a way that makes sense, we sell ourselves short and we put on a mask And we use words like, I'm fine, it's all good. We use use things that, well, that turn Christ into a fake Christ. Because outwardly, we might look like we have our relationships together. We might look like we have our life in order. We might look like we are faithful stewards of Christ. But inwardly, we're still struggling with addiction. We still battle sin. We can put on these masks that make everything seem perfect without actually dealing with what's going on underneath. Have you ever experienced this before? Where you don't know why you said something to someone, but you just didn't want to seem like you were falling apart. I'm here to tell you it's okay to be where you are but it's not okay to stay there, and it's not okay to wear masks. We can put on as many faces as we want, but eventually our stuff comes to the surface. Jesus has this line where he says, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Eventually, what is inside of you works its way to the surface. So if we're going to become the people of God that we have been called to be, we will only do it by actually doing the soul work underneath. Is everybody good and hot? Air conditioner stopped, didn't it? We're going to work on that. There's still some kinks in this new place. So we'll, we'll keep working on it. Okay, number two. If the first one is perfect Christians are more concerned with impressing others than they are about embracing Jesus. Number two, perfect Christians think their obedience will earn them points with God. Verse 13 said this, and even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Here's what I know. We make it about obedience thinking sometimes that we can somehow earn our favor with God because we don't actually like the mess of dealing with the heart. When I started dating Holly, 
one of the things that um, I found most enjoyable was Holly was low drama. And I needed a very low drama situation. Um, have you ever, I mean, those of you who are married, it's okay to put your hand up to just say, but have you ever been in a relationship of any kind, friendship, uh, romantic, doesn't matter, a relationship of any kind in which you had to have multiple DTR conversations? You know what DTR stands for? Determine the relationship where you had to like, are we okay? Like, where is this going? Like the constant need for validation. Now, it is okay to have determined relationships where you have those hard conversations. But um, I found that my relationship before Holly was like one giant are we okay every single day. And it was really, really, really hard And if our life becomes about our obedience to God, I can't help but think all I'm doing is asking God, am I okay? Are we okay? okay? Did I do enough? Do you see how like if we're placating this obedience things, earning something with God, it's always going to fall short. And here's why. I somehow pretend this idea that if I do enough things, if I do enough Love First projects, If I go to enough things, if I help enough people, then I am okay with God. Instead of actually dealing with the messiness of what's going on in the heart. That's not to say that we don't have drama, me and Holly. But what I found was I didn't have drama determining where I was with her. I had drama surrounding the mess of my heart and the mess of her heart. And when we brought that to the surface, that's what was real. So there's this other story in, um, in the Gospels where um, Jesus, he was starting his journey towards Jerusalem, and this man came running up to him and knelt right before him, and, and he said, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus has some responses for him, like, why do you call me good? He said, good teacher, and only God's good, and Then he says, what you have to do is you keep the commandments, Um, you know, keep all the commandments. Don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't cheat, you know, honor your father and mother, that kind of stuff. And the man says, teacher, I've done these since I was young. And then Jesus looks at him and felt genuine love for him. And he says, while this man is kneeling in front of him, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And the scripture says that at that moment, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had many possessions. So the disciples come to him later, and they have this line, and they say, Um, because Jesus made this statement about those who put their trust in riches find it very hard to find the kingdom of God. And the disciples come up to him and they say, Jesus, who, like if, if this guy who kept all the rules, who's got this successful life, who's done everything right, if he can't make it, then who can be saved? And Jesus says in verse 27, I think we have it on the screen for you. 
Jesus looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. I love this story because it illustrates perfectly this idea that when we put our trust and our faith in something other than Christ, it keeps us from having the life that Christ actually has for us. Just because we do the next right thing, it doesn't earn us standing with God. We've had it the whole time, and this man had a scorecard. And by the way, culturally speaking, um, in their version of being God's people, if you were successful, if you were doing things right, you were often seen as you've got it together, God is for you. We don't have that today, right? Because God's not with the people that have their lives together. God's not. I got news for you. God's for all of us, including those who have wealth and including those who have none. But he's especially for those who are poor and broken. And poor doesn't just mean financially. It means unable to understand that the one thing holding them back is the one thing that they need to submit to Christ to be transformed. And so this young man walked away sad with his face downcast because his love of his possessions, his love of that thing was the thing that kept him. He kept all the rules, but he couldn't earn his standing with God. Sometimes we believe that um, the scorecard works because it's easier than just accepting grace. How many of us, and maybe this is you, maybe this is me at different times, have ever used the word, I don't deserve it? We sang about it. And we discount God's grace for ourselves because we play the tape of our own unworthiness And so we try to earn our standing with God so that we can somehow feel better about the things that God has already said, my grace covers that. So what in your life are you holding on to in your heart that has been messy? What's that one thing that maybe God would be asking you to give up because the rich man had done everything on the outside, but his heart had not changed. And there's always something that controls our heart. If we want to be a perfect Christian, it's partly about submitting that piece of our heart to Christ. All right, number three, perfect Christians trust their religious acts more than they trust in Jesus. Um, verse 14, as for me, may I never boast anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that Christ, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. In verse 15, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts 
is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Everybody say transformed. Later on, he says that may we live in this one principle, that we are the new people of God. See, being transformed, the word there in Greek, it actually talks about a metaphysical change in your heart, not simply your behavior. And what leads to ultimately our behavior is what is going on in our heart. Sometimes we start with behavior until it changes our heart. By the way, did you know that? Sometimes you have to do something until it changes how you feel about it. Alan, you can attest to this. When you go to the gym, there are days where you don't feel like it. Amen? But now, now that you've been doing it long enough, you have this insane desire to go, and you feel right when it's... What happens, metaphysical change over time with what started with the decision and behavior that led to a transformation underneath. This word transformed is talking about what happens underneath the surface of our hearts and minds. And um, it's underneath our actions that exposes what we really believe. Do we trust that we will earn God's favor? Do we trust that we've done enough? Do we trust in ourselves? Or do we trust that Christ transforms us? Can I tell you, as a pastor, that this this is actually really hard for me? Because I can trust very easily in my own ability and in my own talents. Did you know each of you have talents and abilities and skills that are yours? You have passions and things that make up you that are fully yours. And what you are is simply responsible for that. When you cultivate those things, what happens is sometimes we can end up trusting that more than we can trust the Christ and the God that put those there. And so there are times when I might even come prepared to speak and share the word of God, very thing that is supposed to be transformative, but instead of allowing the spirit to do the work, I might want to trust in my own experiences and in my own words. That translates to almost every part of my life. Because who can you trust to do it right? Yourself. How many of you thought about that right when I said it? And yet, being a Christian is not about trusting my actions. It's about trusting the Christ that is working on the mess of my heart, not wearing a mask, not trying to do everything perfectly, but allowing the spirit to move in the heart and life underneath that so that over time, the outcome is I become perfect in his eyes. Not perfect in the world's eyes, not perfect in each other's eyes, 
Not perfect because I do everything that cultural Christianity and I pay the radio station to keep playing its songs and I wear the Jesus is my homeboy shirts. (laughs) Perfect in his eyes because he's working on the heart that controls my actions. You see, it's really easy if you're a person who loves black and white. How many of you love black and white and balanced spreadsheets? It's okay, own it, put your hands up high. It's easy if there were like straight lines to say, I wasn't okay, I am okay, and these are the things that made me okay, and now I can just reproduce it. The challenge is when you're talking about your heart and Christ, it just doesn't work that way. There's nothing you can do to produce it other than to allow your heart to be changed, other than allow your life to be submitted, other than to stop trusting in your own actions and start listening to the presence of the Holy Spirit. The first time that I actually trusted the Holy Spirit, um, it's really interesting. I had this strange, strange, strange prompting in my life. Um, I, I was in an uncomfortable spot, and I got prompted to go and talk to someone. And um, I was young. I was a senior in high school. And I got prompted to talk to this other kid uh, at my school. And I would have never chosen to talk to that person. You guys ever have people in your life that you're like, I would never go out of my way to talk to that person. Um, It was that kind of scenario. And I just felt this deep kind of churning in my heart. And... uh, I don't know, I just, I decided I would do it because uh, it just kept eating at me. And I spoke to this person and I actually um, started up this weird friendship and I, uh, I invited them to a, a group that I met with. And what's crazy is that person, um, that gentleman, he became a Christ follower. He went on to get his doctorate and he is currently now leading a, um, a school where he's empowering young people um, to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. We don't know what's going to happen when we start trusting the Holy Spirit. And there are times when I would do things out of my own power, out of my own stubbornness, that would sell me short on the life God has for me. So, who are you trusting? Are you trusting your actions and your talents and your responsibilities and your skill sets? Or are you trusting the Christ that is at work within you? I'm going to give you a bonus as we close. Here's kind of where we pull it all together this morning. When it comes to being a perfect Christian... We have to learn to live out of decisions that we've already made. Because here's the the truth of the matter. My heart would be not changed if it was like the gym. 
because I don't really like to go to the gym. But the more that I go to the gym and do that discipline, the more that it changes me. And I wonder sometimes if in this walk, we try to say, okay, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? Does it look like going to church every Sunday? Does it look like wearing the suit? Does it look like wearing the name tag? Does it look like doing the love first things? Well, yeah, it looks like all of those things, I guess, if you like suits and you like name tags and you like those things. But what it really looks like in the heart of it is nothing on the outside. It's allowing your heart to be made new. And that's really messy. And I feel like for a long time, we've made Christianity about a performance, about a ceremony on Sundays, about a list of doctrines and beliefs and nice things that you can put on a wall. And on the decision that my heart belongs to God and I'm going to do every power to, to cultivate my heart. That's really all Christianity is. And the crazy thing is it works even better in community. Because when I'm churning my heart out in the big group, then I don't really have places and masks where I can hide. It becomes real. So this morning, if you want a real faith, if you want to become the perfect Christian, it's not going to become because you did everything right. It's going to become because you chose to lean in with your heart. And I don't know what mask you're wearing. I don't, I don't presume to know what you're trusting. But I do know the only thing you can trust when you come down to it is God's voice. And that can be scary because when we're bringing our hearts into the picture, it gets messy. So I just want to pray with you guys this morning. I'm not even sure if I made sense. I didn't stick to my notes very well. and I. I just want to invite you, if you're here this morning and your heart is callous, and you've been frustrated by the church and you need something fresh and different. Not like this is my seat, get out of it and, 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 and that kind of thing, but you need something fresh and different because you need something real and you'd like that. Would you just put your hand up this morning and say, yeah, that's me.